Welcome, everyone, to the Boondoggles, Blind Squirrels, and Broken Clocks podcast, part of the Sports Pros Network, where we're always talking sports, so let's start the conversation. I'm your host, Keith Needham, and I'm joined again, as always, by my good friend and gambling guru, Mr. Chad Ford. Chad, how are we doing this morning, bud? We're doing great, bud, after a wild weekend at the tourney. It was a wild weekend, man. We're going to d- dive into that, obviously, and talk all about it. You know, a lot of upsets. Uh, I, I know from our, our kind of our, our private auction side of it, Chad, you ended up with several teams in the Sweet 16, but I don't know that it was necessarily the teams you thought you were going to get, right? <laughs> absolutely. You're absolutely right on that. There's a lot of five, sevens, nines out there, um, as opposed to your two, three, and fours. Typical Chad Ford stuff. Even when he's wrong, he's right, ladies and gentlemen. So, again, the gambling <laughs> guru, he's got that moniker for a reason. So, well, well Chad, before we get into the, the first two rounds of the NCAA tournament recap, uh, we've got UFC, we've got the NFL free agency circus that started back. we got NBA trade deadline that's looming uh, tomorrow as well, my friend. But, as always, before we get into it, we've got to show some love to our favorite sports bar. And, of course, I am talking about Chalk Sports Bar. Everybody knows about Chalk, 1324 West Memorial Road there in Chisholm Creek Plaza. Uh, You can follow uh, Ben Chad and the entire team on the web at ChalkOKC.com or follow them on Twitter and Instagram at ChalkOKC. And Chad, we've got literally one week to go in the midst of our Eat More Chalk, Play More Golf giveaway, my friend. So that contest that's still ongoing is going to go through March 31st, go out, Play a round of golf, bring in your scorecard, right? Uh, BBSBC pod, Sports Pros Network, you're still out pod, right? With our sister pod, with our man Jay Teal. Something to let your server know that you are a friend of the pods. You'll get half off your burger or sandwich, and you will be entered into a drawing for a table for four in a $200 gift card, best seat in the house, there at Chalk for Master Sunday. You'll be able to watch all the action kind of unfold on the back nine there on the afternoon, uh, Sunday afternoon of the uh, final round of the Masters, and you'll get $200 towards your gift card. We're calling it the best seat in the house, Chad, but there's not a bad seat in the house, is there, my friend? No, there's not a bad seat in the house at all, and obviously uh, that's all relative on what you think the best seat in the house. You're closer to the bar, closer to the restroom, closer to the front door, closer to the TV. We got you. We got you all covered. That's a good call. Go. Good. As I get older, Chad, it's it's getting closer to the restroom nowadays. So <laughs> right. So it it's, it's, it's kind of, always been that way for me. <laughs> good stuff. But uh, yeah, go out, play around to golf. Bring in that scorecard. We'll put you in the drawing. And again, you got one week left. And Chad, the, the golf weather is going to be good this weekend. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I know you and I've got a round played uh, or planned on Friday afternoon. So we're going to be teeing it up. But uh, looking forward to that. But uh, always the favorite. Of course, that is Chalk Luxury Sports Bar. Uh, well, Chad, well, let's jump into it, my friend. So the NCAA tournament, again, we, we've talked about it. Uh, there, there's not necessarily the teams that we thought might get to the uh, the Sweet 16, but I know you've got some teams left in it. But, you know, kind of your overall general, you know, thoughts on the opening two rounds, the teams that made it to the Sweet 16, what shocked you, what didn't shock you, uh, you know, kind of give us the, your overall feel, my friend. Uh, I think in a, you know, in a weird world that we're in right now, the overall theme was just teams are, are starting to come around um, and starting to get hot. Normally what we see is teams have played, you know, somewhere in the mid-30s on type of games at this point. Uh, you, they're lucky if they're in the 20s right now. So there's you're talking about practices and games that they just haven't gotten around to playing or, or, or using in. And so I think it's it's just a it's a product of whoever gelled the fastest uh, got out there with the top seeds, and then whoever took a little bit of time to gel, uh, you look at an Oregon, you look at an, uh, a USC, you look at a little Loyola Chicago, uh, you know, it, it took a little time, I guess you'd say, to where the 
oh the how good the team is the you know the overall depth and quality of the team is kind of it's such volatility that we're picking with these analysts and media experts and what we think and how the media has led us to believe which teams are good. But then all of a sudden you watch some of these games and some of the eye tests and you're seeing sevens blowing out twos. You're seeing, you know, nines dismantle ones. And it's, it's a situation of, we don't know what to expect. We've kind of closed the doors for almost two straight years um, and now we're opening them back up and we're finding out who's good and it's not always who we thought. And it's, it, 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 to me, it reminds me of like uh, the opening scene at the stock market, right? You never know who's going to actually come out of That's there right. and have a good day. But, you know, at the end of the day, you look back and you're, you know what? Yeah, we looked at their balance sheet. We looked at their cash position. They looked pretty good. Um, we just didn't think they were going to go far. And then all of a sudden they're up 25% type situation. Um, and that's what it kind of reminds me of is just as a, as a public, we just don't know because we haven't had enough time to look at some of these teams. Yeah. And, and maybe in hindsight, you know, given that it was kind of a weird year, right. And, and you mentioned, you know, we didn't get to see as many games. You had a lot of, you know, inter intra conference games, right. Not the same amount of, of, uh, out of conference games, you know, earlier in the season and then throughout the season as well, you know, maybe we shouldn't be surprised that there's been so many upsets or so many shocking results, if you will, uh, that, that has kind of, you know, gone through it. But, uh, you know, one, one of the questions or one of the themes that I think ha- has been, you know, talked about here over the last day or so, Chad, ever since the uh, the second round completed and we know who was in the Sweet 16, you know, the question I have to ask you, was the Big Ten and the Big 12 slightly overrated? coming? At you, right? Those two conferences got the most teams, were shown the most love from a seeding standpoint throughout, and I think both of them ended up with one team in the Sweet 16, right? Yeah. Baylor from the Big 12 and then Michigan, who I think the consensus was – that they were probably the weakest number one seed in the tournament, and they make it through, whereas you have Illinois, Ohio State, all these other schools, you know, get knocked out. But uh, your thoughts on that, were, were they were they overrated a little bit, Chad? I think so. I think we were all blinded. And you got to think from a standpoint of when we open back up and there's 300-plus teams in college basketball, you immediately gravitate to the big five, right? I mean, you're always going to go to the power five, as it is. And I just don't think there was enough time um, there wasn't enough time to see everybody at their good, um, you know, and let, let's be honest with COVID and how it is, you know, and I, I don't know how ESPN's handled this, but I would think this would be an issue of getting quality talent to be able to come back and broadcast some of these games. Um, we've seen how there's just been, it's been so tight on margins for a lot of these team for a lot of these companies out there. And, they're sitting there trying to get their bottom dime and bottom dollar to match up. Well, sometimes that doesn't always equate well with being able to cover every single game out there. I mean, just like the colleges are basically saying, Hey, we gotta, we gotta cut some sports just to make it work. You got to cut some talent just to make it work. And that means you're not going to be able to cover everything, which means kind of less information out there for the world to see. Um, we always knew Gonzaga and Baylor were the two consistency from the very start. And that's what they're showing out right now is that they are head and shoulders above anybody else that's in this tournament. Will they go through and win it? I, I couldn't tell you. Um, I wouldn't bet on it just from a fact of I don't think you're getting great odds. But um, oh, I, I wouldn't bet on it 
for the odds so much as just, just sit there and say, we just don't have a good feeling anymore because of all these other teams just coming in and knocking the crap out of who we thought was good that now we're having to reassess what we think is great in our mind. Yeah, and the lines have changed dramatically, right? We'll we'll talk oh, yeah. about that later in the pod about kind of a pre-tournament odds to get to the final four versus the uh, the odds now, and which you know that's going to change uh, you know anyways, right? As you kind of you know learn more information <laughs> and which teams make it into the Sweet Sixteen versus which ones don't, but uh, it, it's changed pretty uh, pretty dramatically on some of these uh, lower seeds, or I should say higher seeds, right? So your eight, nine, tens, elevens that have kind of made it through, but uh, you know, so if we if we say that perhaps the Big Ten in the Big 12 were overrated, Chad. You know, the question I have to come back now is that was the Pac-12 underrated, right? So they have they have, they have yeah. a 25% of the Sweet 16, four teams in, right? So you got USC, yeah. Oregon, who's going to square off. That's going to be kind of an interesting matchup there. And then uh, you obviously have Oregon State, who knocked off Oklahoma State, which we'll talk about that here in a moment. And then UCLA making it all the way through, and they'll be taking on Alabama in the Sweet 16. But, uh, you know, not not really known for, you know, basketball prowess per se. We always think about the ACC and the Big Ten, some of these, you know, basketball conferences. The Big East obviously uh, usually falls into that category in normal years as well. But Pac-12 showing out, right? They are really showing out. And they're showing kind of a different brand of basketball. The entire West Coast is showing out. I mean, you know, I'm going to throw Gonzaga in there yep, as absolutely. well. Gonzaga, Oregon State, I mean – UCLA, they they are looking fun and exciting to watch. And even, even USC, you think with Evan Mobley being a seven-footer, thinking he's going to go third in the draft, it's not like they're pounding it inside every time they get the ball. They're out running and funning and gunning this thing. And it it is fun to watch. That's why you like March. You like it up and down. You like it fast. Like, I'm sorry. I, I, I think Luke Garza should be national player of the year. Um, I enjoy watching him, but at the same time, he's a seven footer. That's extremely slow. That plays, you know, the bang him up style of basketball that there's sometimes he's jumping up to the rim. And I'm like, I don't know if he's going to get there. You know, that yes. he's just a big old boy like that. And it's, you know, it works in conference play and it works in big 10. But once you see the speed that this West coast, these West coast teams are coming with, Oh, man, you know, Big 12, ACC, and Big 10 are just kind of left shaking their head at the moment. Um, they haven't dealt with this in this pandemic. And, I mean, that's one of those things is are, are we looking at a situation where you need to be um, with COVID and everything and not being able to practice, you know, consistently? Are we seeing the best conditioned teams out west um, than what we're seeing back in the, in, you know, in the, the Midwestern portion of uh, the nation, you know, and did we watch so much regional stuff that it has made us question who's good outside? Cause you got to have the non-conference games and we're basically watching everything in five, six, seven, ten 10 different bubbles and trying to judge on a whole, which teams are the best. And we obviously picked the wrong bubbles. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. And, and, you know, you always talk about that from a coaching standpoint, you know, the one thing you can't really, you know, prepare for or coach for is speed. Right. So, and yeah. uh, that, that certainly uh, played out in a couple of these matchups as well. Yeah. That, that Oregon team, Chad, my goodness. I mean, they, they looked athletic and I, I had them going to the elite eight. So, you know, from a bracket stand, that's one of the few picks I actually, you know, can brag about the rest, brag, of the, bro. rest, rest of the bracket <laughs> was a, was a complete dumpster fire. So I got that one right. But, you know, I, you I saw a few highlights of them throughout the course of the season and, you know, I thought, Hey, they're well-balanced, right? So they got a lot of long rangy athletic guys, but man, watching them uh, in that game against Iowa, 
what, two days ago now. I mean, yeah. they, they looked good. And, of course, they were fresh, right? So they didn't have to play the first round. I don't know if that factors into it as much as maybe what a lot of people think that it probably does. But, man, they, they look like they may be a tough out. Dana Altman may have some things going totally. there. But uh, they'll have some familiarity uh, with their next game, obviously, with USC coming up. Uh, in the uh, the Sweet 16 round. But, you know, Chad, before we move on from the tournament, I mean, kind of burying the lead here from a local standpoint, you know, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about Oral Roberts, right? Heading up the turnpike yeah. to I-44 up in Tulsa. I mean, they, they have been one of the stories of the tournament thus far. You know, the, only the second 15 seed to advance to the uh, Sweet 16, right? We think about Florida Gulf Coast and that team that they had, what, four or five years ago now. I think it was yeah. 2016, uh, whenever that was. But this team... They don't feel like a 15 seed, man. If you've, you've, you know, I know most of our listeners probably watched them from a local tie-in standpoint over the first two games. You know, they they've been close games, uh, but but they look like they've got the metal to kind of you know move on. We always hear that phrase battle tested there, but the Abmus kid and uh, Kevin Obinar, I think, I mean, they're averaging 60 points per game between them through the first two games. But uh, they, you know, they look legit. Now, got a got a kind of a close regional play in or, or tie in here with uh, Arkansas playing the Razorbacks in that uh, Sweet 16 round. But you know, talk about Oral Roberts, Chad, and do they have a chance to move on? Can they beat Arkansas? I think they can. I mean, at this point, you believe. Um, and that's what people don't understand is once you get down to these number of games and it's no longer a shock anymore, it's two teams walking in. Cause like you said, it will get reseeded. Vegas will do a, uh, you know, they're going to re-put the lines out there. It's not like this is the Oral Roberts from the first round against the number three seed Arkansas Piggies from the first round. That's, that's not what this is at all. They've been reseeded and I expect it to be, Oh, I would under a double digit, you know, you've got a three versus a 15 and it's going to be an under the double digit line is what I would assume it's going to be oral Roberts, man. They are a problem. Acemas is a problem. He is, he's tiny. He's shifty. He can get into the lane and make shots from a awkward position. Um, that's always the thing we talk about when you see players being able to finish the way that they are and being able to convert, um, you know, different and ones or in different situations, getting a 15 foot bucket here, here and there. That's the difference in winning. And he's got it and he's fun to watch and he's exciting. And so I think they're, I think they're, they're primed to be in this spot. I think it'll be a competitive game. Um, I do have Arkansas going on to the elite eight, but you know, I, I'm going to cheer for Oral Roberts because they're, they're the fun team to watch right now. Yeah, you love those uh, those underdogs at this point in the tournament, right? So you always want to see them advance and do well. And, again, they've been a great story, too. So uh, they, they seem to be a team, as you kind of mentioned, they're, they're gelling at the right time, right? So they kind of ran through uh, their their conference tournament there and uh, and played really well throughout that. And, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be fun from a local standpoint as well, right? So, obviously, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State both get knocked out in the round of 32. Uh, Oklahoma State, you know, OU, I think that was expected, right? Nobody had them beating Gonzaga so yeah. you know not a shocker there but uh you know a disappointing out or at least a disappointing time to go out of the tournament I think for Oklahoma State and we mentioned the Pac-12 you know oh, yeah. State you know again not you know, if they if they play that game ten times, Chad, Oklahoma State's probably winning eight of those games, right? But Oregon State just they they've gotten hot at the right time. So it's just just yeah. kind of wild there. It is, and that's the thing is, you know, I watched that game in Oklahoma State. It looked like, you know, basically they had a, a, a lid put over their bucket there at the end. Um, I know that they made furious comeback after furious comeback, and it was like 12 to 16, down to three or down to two or down to one even, or even tied, and they could just never get over that hump. I always felt if they just get a lead, they're going to pull this out, and they just never did. 
And it would be like Oregon State would go down there and they would either get a tough bucket or they would get offensive rebounds. And tough buckets and offensive rebounds are the name of the game in an NCAA tournament. And they're all about desire and want to, right? You know, so I've, I got no complaints about Oregon State moving on. I mean, it's, it's one of those things that you always wonder about those teams that have the one and done star is, are they really going to be there and present for you a hundred percent of the time? Um, Cause they're always thinking about something else, which is, is great. You know, I, I understand they're, they're wanting to play at the highest uh, level they can, but it takes a special player to be able to carry a team when you know, you're the best player out there and you're just going through the motions to get you to the next level. Yep. I agree, and that that Midwest region, Chad, it, <laughs> that's where chaos ensued. Right, I think you and oh I, you know, during during the remote uh, at Chalk last week, we kind of thought maybe it was going to be the the South region, right? So that's kind of where things yeah. got weird. I think is what we said. But uh, you've got an eight and twelve and eleven seed left in it. You know, obviously Houston now probably considered the favorite from a seeding standpoint. I don't know if they are from a betting odds standpoint. Houston was looking to yeah. get past Rutgers uh, in the second round, and Syracuse has looked really, really good through their first two games. But yeah, that Midwest bracket, it is uh, it is it's pretty crazy. insane. So good stuff good stuff. Well, Chad, let, let's move on. Let's talk a little bit about the NFL, my friend. And so, you know, a lot of the news here over the last week, unfortunately, has been about Deshaun Watson, about some things that he did or didn't do or shouldn't have done, What, whatever. You know, we're, we'll, we'll keep that out of it for the time being. But I, I want to get your thoughts on free agency. So it's been kind of a circus, right? The team that pops up, I think, uh, from a free agency standpoint, at least in the news here, has been the New England Patriots. And uh, yeah. uh, they have been splashing the cash. I know uh, Robert Kraft said, you know, hey, look, I'm just in- investing in the stock market here. So, you know, I, I think that these guys are, are going to go up in value over the next few years, and we'll see if he's right. But, uh, you know, it's kind of weird because the Patriots, you know, haven't been super active in free agency, you know, under the, the Belichick-Brady era. And I think oftentimes that's been because they've been kind of cash-strapped. But obviously – I wouldn't say that they blew it up, but, you know, rebuilding, it's going to be a different look, you know, kind of moving forward as well. But uh, your thoughts on all the Patriots moves and then, you know, anything else jumping out to you from an NFL free agency standpoint here about a weekend, I guess. Yeah. Um, and, and to get to your for, first point on the Patriots, um, I look at them and I'm not as intelligent as Bill Belichick. Now, I give Bill, Bill Belichick the benefit of the doubt. I think he's a fantastic coach. I think he's done amazing with what he's had. Uh, He has had Tom Brady, and in my mind, I'm still on the fence about who was more instrumental in their run. Was it Brady or Belichick? And I tend to always side with the player in most of those, especially after the year the player just had and the coach just had. Um, This seems desperate to me. And again, that's just me to go out and basically – you're getting weapons for a guy who, you know, basically for Cam Newton, I think he's just a placeholder. Um, And so you're spending money on guys to where you now have a short window, two to three years of developing a, a quarterback, so to speak, if they take a quarterback in the draft, because we all know he's not going to be ready to go first year. So I worry a little bit on when I look at this, the worst thing you want to be is mediocre in the NFL. You either want to be fantastic or you want to be bottom of the basement barrel so you get a draft pick. And I sit there and I wonder about the Patriots, and I go, who are you competing against? Um, for one, you're, you're competing you know, against the Buffalo Bills and the Miami Dolphins in the AFC East. I think they're both better than you by a wide margin. That's just me. 
you know, regardless of what the free agency was. Um, you're competing against the Kansas City Chiefs in the AFC. I think they're better by, than you by a wide margin. And you're competing against all the other teams in the NFC to win a Super Bowl title. And I think they're ahead of you by a wide margin. So I question why spending the money on these guys just to spend money. It feels like a red ass after Tom Brady just won the Super Bowl. I just, I just don't see them being able to win with this roster, and it starts at quarterback with Cam Newton. So I just, I go, why are you spending all this money? Just continue to, to tank, get your quarterback, and then build around him. Yeah, is this the equivalent of like a midlife crisis, Chad? So they yes, d- divorce, right? Card. Right. The, the the other half of the divorce goes on and and, move, and moves on, and he has a lot of success, and then the other the God. other half is like losing their mind now. <laughs> Absolutely, and everybody's sitting there going, oh, you know, you know. Bill Belichick's about to go scorched earth on people. And, oh, he's got all these weapons now. And I'm like, yeah, but he's still got Cam Newton behind, you know, center. Um, And basically his entire defense hasn't played in two years uh, because they basically all opted out for COVID. I'm not high on the Patriots. In fact, I, you know, I'm, I'm of the mindset that I I sit there. I think they're going to be better than the Jets, but I'm willing to put, you know, put whatever anybody wants to put down on, you know, a better record between Patriots and the Dolphins and Patriots and the Bills and sit there and go like, so what are you spending all this money for? You can't even beat two teams in your division, and yet you're spending all this money just to, so you can say you spent this money. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, they're going to have a combined, what, almost $60 million in guaranteed money across two tight yeah. ends, Chad. So in John U. Smith and Hunter Henry, but guys guys that are, have been productive, right? So certainly from a yeah. fantasy standpoint, you know, Henry, uh, so long as he can stay healthy, right? So that, that's going to yeah. be kind of the risk associated with him. But the John U. Smith kid, I remember him uh, for college days, I think at Florida Atlantic. So he was kind of a stud yeah. there from a fantasy standpoint. So, you know, maybe, but, you, you know, you're, you're per- trying to provide weapons, I should say, for Cam yeah. Newton. But again, that's still the question is like well if cam newton's skipping them in there if he's one hopping them then it doesn't it doesn't really make much it of a difference matter. so you know i i don't think that we've heard the last of the patriots in the in the market right leading up to the draft you know are they going to maybe make a trade move up try to get a quarterback do something along those lines um you know i think that re-signing cam newton it was a relatively cheap deal from a quarterback standpoint now his performance last year merited it being cheap, I don't. I don't think they were going to go out and spend a whole lot of money on him there. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see what they're going to look like. I, I do think that the uh, the Matthew Juden kid uh, who was at uh, Baltimore, Ray, I think he is pretty salty. So uh, you know, good good linebacker there, guy that can rush the quarterback um, and in uh, in help that defense out a little bit. But yeah, the the two tight ends, you know, we think about obviously whenever the Patriots were in one of their heyday runs there, you had Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez, and that offense was was nearly unstoppable. But again, I think it probably boils back down to who was pulling the strings at the quarterback position, right? So it's a, yeah, I don't absolutely. know if it's going to be the same, uh, same with uh, Cam Newton back there or whoever it is that they end up with uh, at, um, at the quarterback position. You know, from from a local tie-in standpoint, Chad, uh, Oklahoma former Oklahoma Sooner Trent Williams, offensive lineman, right? The the richest contract uh, for an offensive lineman in NFL history. I think it was 136 million bucks or something like that. Yeah, uh, I'm happy for a former Sooner, Chad. But again, you know, that's that's a lot of money to be tied up in an offensive lineman. It's a lot of money, and you know, how long has it been since he played? You know, realistically, like obviously, yeah, he had a he did he had a decent year with with San Francisco, but everything that he went through with the Redskins and, and all that, like that's the guy that you're given the, the richest contract to offensive lineman 
history too. And I, I understand it's always the guy, the, the squeaky wheel that gets the grease, but um, you know, it's just, it's one of those that you sit there and think that like he's, I can't remember what his age is, but I don't, I don't think he's a spring chicken and I'm sitting there going, are they going to regret that contract in three years? Yeah. So he, he came out in that class. You know, remember that year it was a Sam Bradford, uh, yep. You had Indomitian Sue and Trent Williams and then a so Rus- Russell Okung. 30s. Yeah, I think, it, what, 2008, 2009 draft? I think yeah. that's what that year was, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah almost. So he's got to be early 30s, which I'm sitting there going, I think 27 or 28 is probably where I'd give the richest deal um, in contract because they're going to grow into it. But at mid, you know, at early to, you know, middle of the road 30s, I, I just don't see it making this contract. But – I totally get it from San Francisco's standpoint. Like it's, you are getting one of the top left tackles out there in the game. Um, He's going to protect in Jimmy G uh, from what we think or what we know. That's right. That's a lot of money to already give to someone to protect some guy that's basically never played a, uh, a full season in his life because of injuries. But I'm okay with it. I would have loved to have seen the Chiefs go after someone like that because I felt they kind of stood pat, um, which makes me think that they've got something coming back to where they sit there and think that they can uh, they can beat the Buccaneers as it is with what they have. Yeah, and the Chiefs, you know, had a bad game. You know, that was the whole thought right after the Super Bowl. Is like, hey, look, they have to go out and get offensive linemen. You know, they cut uh, Mitchell Schwartz and, a, and another lineman to kind of make some salary cap room. Uh, and I know that I think they did sign a guard, but uh, yeah, still some work to be done on the offensive line. It seemed like there was, you know, a lot of smoke there uh, between the Chiefs and uh, Trent Williams, but uh, they just simply couldn't match the money um, that uh, San Francisco was willing to pay, is what it sounded like. But you know, one more move, Chad. And you know, this one might have some fantasy relevancy, which I know you and I love fantasy football as well. Before we kind of move on, but Kenny Galladay signing for the New York Giants, right? So he'd been at Detroit for the last few years. A guy that put up decent stats whenever he, you know, had connections with Matt Stafford there. But, you know, the question is, well, were they putting up decent stats because they were always 17 points behind and had to throw <laughs> throw the ball a lot? Like, you know, your thoughts, you know, on that move for the Giants, you know, bringing in an offensive weapon. I think they did need a number one wide receiver, but is, is Galladay that guy? I... I don't know. I mean, Galladay's always been kind of a slot speed guy to me. Um, he's never been like, you know, the number one wide receiver that you get. And and when I think number one receiver, I think like a Mike Evans, a guy that you can throw it to on third down in the end zone. And you're like, my guy's coming down with it nine out of 10 times. Um, I personally don't think of an, an Antonio Brown, a Kenny Galladay type situation like uh, you know, nothing against those wide receivers. I think they do wonderful, but I also think they have to be put into a scheme that makes them wonderful, um, being undersized and whatnot like that. Like, I I don't know. I I sit there and I sure I, – I like the splash it made. Um, you've got more holes than what you have, Giants. But I go back to if you're investing in high-powered accessories like that, you better know that your motor – is going to be able to handle it. And when you have a guy like Daniel Jones, who he's coming into his third year, uh, I don't think he's shown enough progression to go out and do this. Um, I I look back to the situation when Baker Mayfield led Cleveland um, to this wins, his freshman, um, freshman campaign, his rookie campaign, whatever you want to say it. 
Cleveland did make a commitment to him with some wide receivers on the outside, going and getting some guys. They made a trade for OBJ and things like that. I don't feel like this is the same situation. I don't think the Giants are there. Yeah. Um, I don't think in two years we're going to be looking back and going, oh, the Giants, man, they're, they're right there on the cusp. They're about to be um, – they're challenging for the NFC, you know, title. Yeah, and, and you mentioned it, you know, with Daniel Jones coming into his third. It's going to be a big year for him, right? Because now yeah. now they do have a, a, a good wide receiver, right? Whether he qualifies as that wide receiver one, they're, they're paying him like a wide receiver one, four yeah. years, $72 million. So he's going to be getting paid near damn near $20 million a year. So you're going to hope that uh, he performs that to that level. But I, I'm with you. I think this is – jury is still out a little bit on Daniel Jones, right? Last year was weird. Um, the uh, uh, guy, His name escapes him right now. The stud running back that they got from Penn State. Oh, Saquon Barkley. Yeah, yeah, yeah Saquon yeah, Barkley. Yeah. He got injured, you know, so you know he should be coming back, and so maybe they can play some things off for for play action, uh, uh, get Galladay a lot of one on one coverage, and uh, you mentioned the speed, maybe get him get him deep in behind the coverage. So we'll see, but yeah, big big move for the Giants, and uh, I think kind of a make or break move, and certainly a make or break year, I think for for Daniel Jones uh, coming into the twenty twenty one season. So, well, we'll chat. Let's let's talk a little bit about the NBA, my friend. And so we got a trade deadline that is coming up uh, tomorrow. Actually, as we're recording this here on Wednesday. Um, you know, not, it's kind of a weird moment from a trade standpoint, right? So you, you think about guys that are out there, you know, Kyle Lowry uh, seems to be like he's going to be a guy who's going to be on the move. You know, you think about teams that have, you know, definite needs. Um, you think about maybe Philadelphia making a move. He's he, a lot of talk between, you know, the Sixers and uh, uh, Lowry there because I think he's a Philadelphia guy. But, you know, wh- who do you see that kind of needs to make the moves, you know, think about Oladipo and the Rockets about, you know, he may be, you know, they're blowing it up and going to get, get something for him. But what jumps out to you from an NBA trade deadline standpoint and what moves do you kind of see happening or maybe not happening uh, before tomorrow? Man, the, the thing everybody's talking about is Kyrie Lowry or Victor Oladipo to the Miami heat. One of those two. Um, I, I, if I'm the heat, I would rather have Oladipo because you think about what the heat have, um, they've got, you know, Goran Dragic, they've got Tyler Hero, they've got Jimmy Butler, uh, they've got Bam Adebayo. Great defensive like, team. Great, defensive great, team. great core. Great core. I feel like adding Lowry uh, contributes to your problem is, you know, in, in crunch time, who's going and getting you a bucket? Neither one, none of those four guys I mentioned are just specialists at going and getting bucket. And honestly, at this point, of watching him, I'd probably put the hands in Tyler Hero. You know, I know Jimmy Bucket can go down and get you something, but in today's NBA, I'd rather have a shooter with the ball in their hands. And so that's where I look at Oladipo as a cool fit because he is shown to be a scorer and a knack finisher, and that's where I think he could really put them over the top of, you know, basically Jimmy Bucket serving as this facilitator team captain role and – we can power through and make things happen wherever we put the good sound basketball mind. Let Olaf Depot do his thing. You got Jimmy Buckets and um, all the name is uh, Duncan Robinson on the outside throwing. And then you got Bam Adebayo down low. And then you got your veteran leader in Goran Dragic. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, whether or not Miami's going to get the draft capital assets together to do it. Remember they, you know, they're, they're small on draft assets after all the trading they've done uh, to try and get the, to where they're at. Um, depending on, man, this is, this feels weird to say, depending on the Lakers situation with 
um, LeBron and AD, you may be looking at them standing pat, just basically sitting there going, we're not moving. We, we've gone all in. We've got our championship. We don't feel the need to go out and just overspend for a Band-Aid on a situation when we know we got our guys coming back next year. Right. Um, I would look at uh, – one, I would look at just for personal, but also, two because I think they will be uh, on, the, on the move is I think I look at the Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, they've still got Al Horford on the roster, and I think there will be some team that will want – to get Al Horford back, there's been talks about the Celtics. Remember, the Celtics and the Thunder both have the largest trade exceptions in the NBA. And if they don't use them, they just kind of go away. So, you know, there might be some blockbuster that involves a three-team trade where, you know, maybe Boston gets a little beefier in the middle bringing back Horford. Um they get to use their trade exception. Maybe there is a large star on a team that's looking to get out that we bring in from Oklahoma City to build around, and someone else wants draft assets. Um, that that could totally be the case. Um, sometimes you've got guys on your books that, hey, we're going to pay this guy like a two, even though we know he's a three, if we get this certain certain roster configuration that sometimes you just need to send off. It didn't work, and – you know, I think the the Thunder have positioned themselves well to just kind of stand there ready um, at the wait to see who's there. And um, I think they've got Shea Alexander. Do I think we would build I, – I think we do want to build around him because I think he's a great player. But I also would not be surprised to see Sam Presti get off him. Um, and basically, just depending on the situation, I think Presti's shown that no one is um, – basically outside their skis and yeah, that's uh, fair. they're, they're not untouchable. Uh, I think if that situation arise, I wouldn't be surprised if we make a move, but um, I think there's probably plenty of teams out there that would want Shea Gilchrist Alexander and basically all our, all our draft picks too. They're all looking great. So uh, the only thing the thunder have going against them is basically Houston being so terrible that we may not get, you know, a, a, a first round pick that was top four protected right. actually may get protected. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, in, in Houston, they are in full tank mode. There's, there's no they doubt. Are. They're I think terrible. they won a game this week, which it was kind of like, what the hell are you guys doing? But uh, I think it was kind of a fluke. I think they went back to their losing ways shortly thereafter. But uh, no, you, you mentioned, you know, Al Horford, uh, George Hill for the Thunder, you know, from the local standpoint. You know, I think whenever Horford came over, the thought was like, well, he's not going to be here, right? That's going to be part of a move at some point later on down the road. And, you know, obviously the Thunder, tons of draft uh, picks here over the next uh, two, three, four years. And so I uh, wouldn't shock me and you know Presti is a is a guy that likes to will and deal uh, on that front as well so I, I think the Thunder will probably pop up uh, in the news on that front within the next 24 hours it's just a, depending upon who what when and where uh, as you kind of mentioned there you know a team that uh, that that is interesting to me Chad uh, for a lot of different reasons now, right? You mentioned, you know, the Lakers, two stars kind of being injured right now. Obviously, LeBron mm-hmm, James has mm-hmm. that high ankle sprain. He's going to be out for a couple of weeks at, at the earliest or, 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 you know, from the shortest period of time. I like time, where this like. is going, Keith. Uh, talk, like to me, talk to me about the Denver Nuggets, Chad. Oh, yeah. Uh, I love N- Nikola Jokic, he's, he's currently the favorite. He is the betting favorite for NBA MVP right now, Chad. And he's having a season that certainly backs it up. I know he's a guy who flies under the radar. Not for you, because, you know, being a basketball purist, you absolutely love that guy. But if Denver could make a move and bring in one more piece, 
with Jokic and Jamal Murray, I mean, they this might be their year, right? They're they're at a point, right? And you're absolutely right here. They went to the um the what the they went to the conference championships. Yeah, last Western year. Conference Finals. Yeah, yeah, they got they got absolutely dismantled by the Lakers. Knowing that, I think Denver is at a crossroads to where they are. Just like you say, we're either going to pack it up and go for it or we need to get off these big contracts as it is. Um, I don't think Porter has taken the, the step that they wanted him to take this year with Jamal Murray, him like Porter may end up being like one of the best six man in the league history, but the fact that he hasn't stepped up to take over a throne, much like Kyle Kuzma didn't do with the Lakers and they ended up trading away. I think the nuggets are one away and I think it is a a Michael Porter Jr. like guy. It's a it's a big, long, physical, um, probably a three or a four, um, and I think they could probably find that out there on the open market. Uh, that's one of those that you know what what makes a lot of sense. And and this is where I would be if I'm you know Giannis Adekempo, is I sit there and go, I'd rather be on the Nuggets than I would rather be on my team which is the Bucks. Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot more, and I think that's where they're at. Like, they're a good, solid core, and I think anybody would love to play with Jokic. I think anybody out of their mind would love to play with Jokic because he opens up so many lanes, and especially a guy like a Giannis, a slasher, and a scorer would just kill, just absolutely kill it at something like that. Now, when you start thinking about teams, I think the Raptors may blow it up, so if there is a Pasquale Siakam out there, ooh, I'd watch that name um, because I think you could see a situation to where the Nuggets could dangle like a Michael Porter Jr. Jr. for a uh, Pasquale Siakam that's going to open up the lane for you. You saw how well he played uh, being Ky- uh, Kawhi Leonard's. Uh, that's right. What yeah. do you call that, Robin? A Robin mm-hmm. to his Batman, or a you know a, a Robin to his Superman. Excuse me. Um, no, that is Batman, isn't it? Yeah, yeah that's Robin right. You get, you get your, your DC comics yeah. all mixed up, Chad. So Golly, DC, Marvel, man. there's so many movies out there. Justice League coming out. It's it's confusing times, Chad. It is. It is. We're in the the end of days, so to speak, on the <laughs> on the, the the comic books. But I look at someone like that, like a Pasquale Siakam, going to the Nuggets that could make them just absolutely over the top. I, I agree, and you know, you know unbelievable. Um, or even bringing in a veteran point card, go for it, my man. Yeah, well, I was going to say it with the Siakam as well, Chad. You know, there was kind of that bust up with uh, with head coach uh, Nick Nurse, right? So I think he got oh, fined yeah. fifty thousand bucks this week, and it seems like, oh yeah, you know, and, and those guys are frustrated, right? So they they're two years, you know, removed from an NBA championship, you know, uh, and, and I'm sure they, you know, not winning basketball games is frustrating, and it seems like they are they are at a crossroads, and they probably are going to blow it up, is what uh, all all the news and the headlines would seem to uh, point to there in. Toronto, and, and understandably so, right? We talk about it all the time. The worst place to be in the NBA or really, really any professional sport is in the middle, right? If you're not competing yeah. for a title, then blow it up, suck, get down to the bottom, rebuild, and kind of go from there. But you just don't want to be stuck in the middle. So, yeah, Siakam would uh, would definitely be an interesting uh, trade deadline uh, asset, and certainly for Denver as well. I mean, if he, he was to go there, that might be the missing piece, uh, as you mentioned it. So, well, well, Chad, you know, we've been talking a lot over the last month about the UFC in, in kind of this big stretch of pay-per-views and big-time title fights that have been ongoing, and, and really kind of the culmination of that stretch run uh, is Saturday night. So we got UFC 
260. The big boys are going to be duking it out. Uh, the heavyweight champ, Stipe Miacic, against Francis Ngannou. This is round two, right? So these guys fought, right. uh, what, three years ago, I think. And Miacic, you know, survived a flurry of punches from Ngannou in the first round and then really took him to the mat and out-wrestled him and, and kind of out-cardioed him and uh, won a u- unanimous decision. It wasn't even close. I think he he kind of swept it on the uh, the scorecards here. And so, you know, the question that kind of, you know, is out there now for a lot of uh, fight, fight nuts is that has Ngannou improved his wrestling skills and, you know, will this fight go past the first round? Because it seems like Ngannou, as, as the fight goes on, Miacic's chances of a win probably go up, whereas Ngannou needs this thing to end in the first or second round. But your thoughts on this? Always fun to watch the big boys fight, right? It is always fun to watch the big boys fight. I actually got more into the big boys when uh, Miacic was uh, fighting his trilogy and uh, with Daniel Cormier. Cormier, That that was so much fun to watch. Those are two guys that weren't scared of mixing it up. And we always talk about the big guys, how they sometimes don't mix it up. You know, you may not get that fireworks show, but I'm excited to see this one. Um, I, again, I always harp on Naganu is a guy that had a couple of just boring ass fights. And I think Dana White basically put him on, on blast and said, unless you start fighting, you're going to be out of the UFC real quick. So um, Naganu, He's been on a tear since having one of those fights to where it was just like, what is going on here? Uh, he fought the big boy. It was it was one of those like inner, either uh, is he the bl- it might have been blades. Curtis blades? Yeah, yeah or knocked him out like that. quick. Yeah, yeah. but uh, anyway, Nagano's in on a tear, but Miacic is getting older up there, and I think he may just want it more than Miacic. Um, to be honest with you, like it, it Miacic is such a laid back guy. Like, hey, I enjoy you know, going into being my volunteer fire department in, in Cleveland and all that good stuff. And I, I respect him, but you know, at some point the, the mantle just needs to be passed. And I feel like Naganu is just, he's ready for that, you know? And, and if not Naganu, like who's it going to be in the heavyweight division? That's going to beat Mia chips. Mia chips going to retire, you know, basically undefeated and all that. But I think it's time for Naganu to take his place. Yeah. You mentioned, you know, Mia chips, you know, how many more fights does he have left in him? Chad, he doesn't really have anything to prove. You know, you assume that no. the winner of this match Saturday night, regardless of who it is, is going to set up a match with, uh, with John bones Jones, right? He's moving up to heavyweight oh, yeah. and there's been, he's been very active out there on social media and Twitter after a lot of the pay-per-views here uh, over the last month or so. He's a, he's a smack talker. There's no doubt about it, but uh, you would assume that the winner uh, would face a Jones uh, later on this year. And if it's Stipe, that might be kind of the last mega payday fight that he has. And it's like, all right, boys, I'm riding off into the sunset. You know, I've got nothing else left yeah. to prove. Whereas Ngannou, as you mentioned, you know, still, uh, you know, the younger guy. So uh, less experience from a fight standpoint, slightly, uh, but, uh, you know, may have that hunger coming up. And again, yeah, he is terrifying. I mean, he just looks like a superhero. Right? We're talking about DC and Marvel, you know, a couple minutes He's ago. Huge. I mean, that guy is chiseled out of stone, uh, and uh, you know, kind of a scary guy from an intimidation standpoint for sure. And big, big, heavy hands as well. So yeah, definitely looking forward to that one. Uh, the undercards, a couple other interesting matchups there. You got Tyron Woodley, um, you know, kind of a former you know super duper store there in the middleweight welterweight division. He's kind of I think he's lost three or four in a row, and so he's probably fighting for his UFC career on Saturday night against uh, Brazilian Vicente. 
Luque, and then a sugar, Sean O'Malley, uh, who was kind of a, a rising star, kind of up-and-comer. He had these spectacular knockouts, oh, and then man. he lost his last fight, kind of got injured, and now he's coming back uh, to fight uh, another Brazilian, Thomas Almeida. Uh, and so he, he's an entertaining guy, fun guy to watch, you know, assuming that the punches are flying there, Chad. But uh, uh, anything else jump out to you on those, uh, those two undercard bouts there? I think O'Malley coming back from the injury, if you remember, I I remember specifically because I'm not sure he was a bigger favorite in any other fight than yeah. the last time I bet on him. And all of a sudden he starts, you know, limping around because he's tore his ACL, broke his ankle, whatever the case may be. Uh, and I'm interested to see how he's going to come back and fight because he was on a meteoric rise. He was like, Whatever it was, sixteen and zero. Nobody could touch him. He was getting that pulp culture status. Crazy like, knockouts. Uh, yeah. Yes, which uh, if you remember Chuck Liddell and the Iceman and how big that was, like this was going up here, and this was the next superstar. And then he gets hurt on that end. So I'm interested to see if he returns to the same form. If the fans still love him, um, you know, and he, you know, get a win under his belt and come back to where all of a sudden we're going to start having fans at the arenas and then it's going to go nuts again. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. And he was a guy who was exciting, right? So it may be a guy maybe even fed off a little bit of the fan uh, uh, kind of interaction there as well. So it still kind of sucks that we're not quite there yet from a uh, uh, from that standpoint. But uh, looking forward to seeing him because he is an exciting fighter, uh, absolutely no doubt about it. And, uh, and again, Almeida, he, he will be a tough test. That's not, um, you know, it's not, he's not coming back against a tin can. So there's a chance that he no. could lose. Uh, you know, in these younger guys as well, you know, losing one, one fight or maybe two fights early on in your career, certainly not. Uh, not like boxing to where you know you're you're all the way down to the bottom of the uh, pecking order and it's going to take you forever to get back up if you're an exciting fighter you know you can overcome one loss especially in the manner that he he lost which you know it was part of the fight right the guy kept kicking him in the leg and just he he couldn't really move move forward and kind of go on uh uh, in that regard but that's part of the business as well but uh, yeah i i I like uh, o'malley i think he's an exciting guy to watch and he's always interesting from a hairdo standpoint too so i'm excited to see what yeah he's always awesome he's ready to go and on point every single time. Yeah, two two guys such as ourselves who are follically challenged, Chad. So I know that's <laughs> something that we uh, we tie t- look, tie into and look into uh, when we see some of these crazy hairdos coming out. So, well, 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 Chad, you know, we talked about it earlier in the pod. You know, our sweet sixteen picks. You know, wasn't necessarily uh, the sixteen teams that we thought were going to be there. We got some right, and, and again, we kind of have our own little you know team auction that uh, you and I and a bunch of our buddies kind of get into as well. And, and you've done pretty well uh, through the opening weekend on that. But uh, you know, I'm, I've got our sweet sixteen picks up from the uh, Fantasy Sports Pros website, <laughs> oh, my friend. And there's a lot of red. It's a bloodbath on a that. We we did not get a lot of teams right. But the great thing about the tournament is that after the sweet sixteen, or I guess before the sweet sixteen, after the first two rounds you kind of get a breath of fresh air fresh air you get a second chance at it my friend and so you know what uh, what we're going to do today is uh you know kind of go through some picks now that we've seen the first two rounds unfold and maybe you know reseed and maybe even repick who we think is going to be uh in the final four uh, after this weekend's action bud so I'll, I'll tee you up and again i think we started in the west uh region last week whenever we were doing the live remote at Chalk because we felt like it was probably the chalkiest uh, of the regions. (laughs) Has anything changed uh, in that that, that opinion, Chad? And is it still going to be Gonzaga going through to the Final Four from the West for you? On that one for me, yes. 
Um, the biggest takeaway I took away from the weekend was Gonzaga and Baylor heads and shoulders above everybody when they're healthy. Um, so I will take Gonzaga. I just don't see Creighton, USC, or Oregon challenging these guys. Um, even though they kind of play like – you know, Oregon kind of plays the style of Gonzaga, like get out with you, start shooting it, and um, get after you on defense. But, uh, I mean, Gonzaga's going to have to have a bad, bad night, uh, you know, for anyone to get past them. No, I, I would agree, Chad. And, again, they're they're a big favorite, right? So you're going to have to lay yeah. a lot of money right now to uh, to take Gonzaga to make the Final Four, r- roughly minus 300. So uh, having, having to lay 300 bucks to win 100 on them. But, again, they, they were the big favorite coming into yeah. the tournament to make the Maybe Final Four. It. Yeah, so no no shock there, but I, I'm with you. I don't, I don't see anybody else but Gonzaga coming out of that West uh, region, given how they play. But, you know, let, let's go down to the East, Chad, which is, you know, interesting because, again, I was dead wrong here. You got it right. I, I didn't think Michigan would make it this far. Uh, and so you've got Michigan, Florida State, and you've got UCLA and Alabama. Alabama's looked like one of the better teams uh, in the bracket thus far. I agree yeah. with you. I think Gonzaga and Baylor are probably the two best uh, with the way that they've looked to the first two uh, two rounds. But I think that third place slot, it might be Alabama and not Michigan. Your thoughts on the East region, bud? I think you're absolutely right. It might be Alabama and not Michigan. I'm interested to see what Alabama is going to do when they play UCLA. That is an up and down team because Alabama is an up and down team. If you notice their games are in the eighties and nineties, I mean, they go hard. So I think UCLA is going to have a hard time, but another team out here that I think Florida state is going to give Michigan some problems with as as athletic as they are. I am going to go Alabama on this one as well. You know, the the two seed, I th- I love what they have done. Um, and if I had to pick a second one, it's probably going to be Florida State, but I think it's Alabama-Florida State to battle it out to go to the Final Four. Okay, yeah, and, and from a Vegas odds standpoint, Chad, Michigan and Alabama are almost co-favorites there, right? So they're pretty close from a line. Alabama plus 175, Michigan plus 160 uh, to win that region and move on to the Final Four. You know, I, I'm going to go with Florida State, right? So I, that yeah. was one of the teams I had them making a run to the Elite Eight in our bracket uh, even, even before the tournament began. I, I'm really high on that team. I think they got a lot of leadership. I like uh, uh, Leonard Williams as a head coach there, right? I think he tore his ACL or something getting off yeah. the bus in the first round, which is kind of a <laughs> freak accident. I've heard that that's one of the most painful injuries that uh, that you can have oh, uh, from sure. a, uh, I guess not really sports related if you're walking off the bus, but uh, you're usually uh, used to seeing athletes have those um, those injuries there. But uh, yeah, that, that one probably stings a little bit, but uh, I like Florida State. I like the value you're getting there at plus 380, plus 400, depending upon your book. And so I think that Seminoles team is going to be a tough out. And then that Florida State-Michigan, uh, Sweet 16 game later this week. That's going to be a lot of fun to watch because again, I, I think I was I was wrong on Michigan. I, I uh, maybe uh, undervalued them a little bit, but uh, kudos to them for being the only Big Ten team uh, left standing. So, well, Chad, let's go. Let's go south. Uh, and again, this was the region that we thought things were going to get weird. Uh, it hasn't gotten as weird, perhaps, as maybe what we thought it was going to get. Now, Oral Roberts still being in the tournament at this point is obviously kind of a, uh, uh, an a outlier there in that regard. But outside of that, relatively chalky, right? So you get Baylor against Villanova. Villanova, the five seed, right? So, you know, slight, I guess, upset, if you want to think about that in terms of seeding. Uh, Purdue obviously getting knocked out by North Texas in the first round, which I think you and I both had that one picked. So uh, good yes, on us did. there. But uh, And then Arkansas and Oral Roberts in the bottom half of that bracket. Baylor, obviously a big favorite here. You're going to have to lay money to pick them, as we mentioned, uh, and understandably so. They're at minus 140. But do you see any chance for maybe the Hogs to come out of that bracket or maybe even Villanova pulling the upset, bud? I I see a chance for the Hogs coming out of there. I don't know about Villanova pulling the upset. I just just don't see it. Um, 
I, I do think Baylor still is overwhelming a favorite here, but I do think Arkansas can get them. Um, but it, it's one of those that I, I, I think if you go, if you play the game 10 times, about seven or eight of them are going to be won by Baylor. I don't think they're just a, 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 a horrible, horrible over, over the top favorite, but I do think they are a favorite and I wouldn't bet against Baylor coming out of here. I think they're getting back from their COVID issues. They've got a couple games under their belts now, seven, I think. And I, I think they're starting to play really well. Yeah. I loved what I saw last game. Like the last 10 minutes of that was, uh, yeah, Wisconsin. That Wisconsin game, uh, or the last 10 minutes of the first half was the best basketball I've seen by a college team this year. Yeah. And they, they look to be clicking at the right time, as you mentioned. Right. And I, I, I was, I was selling Baylor before the tournament began yeah. uh, just because I, I, was I wasn't, I wasn't sold on Scott Drew in, in his in-game coaching, Chad. So I think the Baylor, yeah. the players that they have, you know, they got a tremendous set of players there. They're long, they're rangy, they're athletic. They play great defense. They're playing above the rim. I mean, that was tons of alley-oops in that uh, uh, game against uh, Wisconsin there, but you know, I'm starting to come around on them now, but you know, I'll, I'll go with the, uh, the underdog here simply because, you know, Villanova was a sexy pick to go out in the first yeah. round against Winthrop in that 5-12 matchup, and we talked about that last week. And They're Jay, tough. Yeah, Jay Wright, just kind of a big middle finger and FU to the rest of the college basketball world saying, we ain't dead yet, right? So we're, we're yeah. not out of it yet. So I think maybe this Villanova side, right, you know, Philadelphia team got a little chip on their shoulder. You know, I, I like a little bit of value there at plus 500. You're getting them at 5-1. to one. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw a couple shekels on the Wildcats of Villanova there just because I'm still not sold on Baylor from an in-game coaching standpoint, whereas Jay Wright, uh, he's got the resume, and I think they've they've got a little bit of motivation on their side now as well. So I'll go with Villanova at plus 500. So, uh, well, heading to the last region, Chad, again, the Midwest, which we talked about it, that's where things got weird uh, from, a, uh, from an overall tournament bracket standpoint, getting to the Sweet 16. But Houston now, you know, probably the the favorite to come out of that region, and they're right at even money, plus, you know, 105, you know, right there on the line at even money. But do you see perhaps Syracuse or or Loyola playing so well right now? Do you, you got any value coming out of that Midwest region for one of those other teams, bud? I like Loyola. Um, I will say that, like, this is the region that madness has just, descended upon like you said with an eight a 12 and 11 and a two and the two hasn't looked that impressive you know but houston's been one of those that i've never thought they looked impressive the whole year like this is a win ugly right it has been ugly and they've continued to win so there is something to that you know they're they're like 25 and three or something of that nature and they played really well but i'm i'm with you like syracuse is always one of those it seems like bayheim no longer has like the number one or number two seeds anymore. He has these, we're just happy to be in the tournament. And then all of a sudden they go to the elite eight and they go to the final fours and it's kind of nuts. Um, so I do think Syracuse is going to challenge Houston. Um, I kind of hate the fact that, you know, Bayheim and Bayheim's son are like leading the charge in this thing, just because I think he's a dick. Uh, he, I think he is. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> you know, that's me. Um, but I do like Loyola Chicago. They've been to the Final Four, um, you know, and it's it's one of those. It's almost like a Butler a few years ago. If you remember, they went to two national channel games. Yes, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, but, and, and almost won one right the half the half court shot, like half court <laughs> shot away from winning it against Duke. So I'm I'm gonna take. Loyola. 
Yeah, and they are they are just a fantastic story, Chad. Again, we think they about the are. run that they had a couple years ago. Sister Jean, you know, God bless her, 101 years old or whatever she is God now. I mean, bless her. just again, she just goes to show you don't fuck with the Jesus, right? So you know, no. she's got got the uh, good Lord on her side, and uh, Loyola making another run there. But uh, yeah, just a, just a fun story, kind of adds to the atmosphere uh, of the tournament, given that the crowds are a little bit, you know, uh, obviously subdued this year uh, due to COVID, and we're not having as much noise uh, in the stands uh, as as what we're accustomed to. But uh, she's certainly one of the uh, um, uh, memorable moments of the uh, NCAA tournament here over the last three or four years. And uh, Loyola, again, Vegas not treating them like an underdog, uh, Chad, you know, plus 170. So, you know, they're they're up there. uh, They would be the fifth ranked team from an odd standpoint to make the final four right now behind Gonzaga, Baylor, Ooh. Houston, and Michigan. Ooh. So uh, they uh, Vegas tends to know on these things, right? So uh, Loyola, Chicago, and maybe part of that too is public perception, right? So Loyola pro- probably a very public team now given that storyline. So maybe there's some money uh, kind of coming in on that front. But uh, local tie-in chat, Oral Roberts, they are at the bottom of that Sweet 16 ranking, my friend, to make it to the, to the uh, Final Four. 30-1. <laughs> to one. So 30-1 to one there. And again, uh, the odds would have been much greater even before that. So, But uh, uh, would, you, would you even throw a couple shekels down on the ORU Golden Eagles just from a local tie-in standpoint, bud? Absolutely. I mean, it's a local tie-in, one of those. Um, and, and let's remember, people, it's you don't have to just because, hey, they're Final Four – if they make Elite Eight, basically you're just betting on them to win this game. Um, you get Oral Roberts, and then you take the other side on the next game out yeah, as long out. as they win the first game. That's right. And then you, you've you guaranteed yourself to make money. So it's not all about just the end game of, oh, I put 100 bucks down to win, you know, call it three or 4000 or whatever. You there, there's middle game there, and there's games within the game to play, and always remember that situation. That's right. Good, good betting advice there. Too. I need Oral Roberts to move on, bud. So in our our Calcutta auction, that's one of the two teams I've got left from one of our pods. So uh, I, I'm rooting for an ORU Houston <laughs> Final Four on that side of the. That's the only way I'm going to break even. Only way I'm going to break even at this point, bud. So, uh, <laughs> you and uh, Ty Ty Beaver took me to the cleaners per the usual on that front. So, well, well, brother, I'm looking forward to watching the games this weekend. I know you are as well. I'm looking forward to teeing it up with you on Friday afternoon. We'll be playing some golf, and uh, so that's going to be a lot of fun. The weather's going to be good. We'll have to go to chalk afterwards and turn in our scorecard. I don't. I, I think. I guess you and I probably aren't eligible for the best seat in the house co- uh, competition <laughs> we may there, not right? Be, but yeah. hey, we'll be we there. Can follow along and play. Yeah, we're going to be there anyways. I guess so. Uh, we don't necessarily need to uh, to enter the contest. I think you and I will be there on that Sunday afternoon. If I had to guess, uh, no matter what. So, well, well, brother, as always, I appreciate you riding shotgun with me here, going through all the games and all the matchups and all the lines and stories, and so. Look forward to doing it again next week whenever we'll be breaking down the Final Four. So we will be down be to fun. the Final Four, bud. So looking forward to that. And while this will wrap it up for this episode, ladies and gentlemen, remember that the conversation doesn't end here. To keep it going and to keep up with everything we're doing over at the Sports Pros Network, check us out at fantasysportspros.com or on Twitter at sports underscore pros. And remember that is pros with an E. And get out there to Chalk. Follow them online at chalkokc.com or on Twitter and Instagram at chalkokc. But the best thing is to go check them out in person. Again, not a bad seat in the house. All the games will be on all weekend long, so go check them out there. Enjoy the games this weekend, ladies and gentlemen. Good luck and take care. (laughs) 